the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko concludes a message entitled The Alien King today here on the broadcast. We hope that you enjoy it. If you'd like to listen to the first portion of this message, you'll find it under the broadcast schedule on the main page of ReachingYourHeart.com. Again, the name of the message is The Alien King. Please stay with us for just a few seconds after the program. I have some other very important information that I'd like to pass along to you. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. But that's what Moses did at the burning bush. He fell down and worshipped the voice that was calling to him from the burning bush. This is the pre-existent Son of God. And when Joshua saw him, he said, Behold a man. The text says, Behold a man. And he worshipped him. The prophet Daniel saw him too. Daniel 8.15 When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. Behold the man. Again, Daniel saw him in later vision. Daniel 10.5 I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the gold of Euphaz. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Behold the man. Christ's voice was the ancient voice of God in the Old Testament. God had commanded his people to behold the angel, the messenger who is God himself, that would lead his people to the promised land. Pilate had no place for Jesus' voice in his life. Pilate represents the secular world that has no place for Jesus as king. In the end, the secular world will persecute God's people just like Pilate did Jesus because the world cannot hear his voice. You must surrender the world to have Jesus in your life. In contrast to Pilate, the Jews represent the religious world that has no place for Jesus as king in the church. It's not only the secular world that rejects Jesus. It happens in the church. When people of faith cannot listen to Christ and they do not behold Him, they do not follow Him, they too fall away. And so church and state united to kill the alien king. John 19.7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard these words, he was the more afraid. He entered the praetorium guard and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. At this point, Pilate knows that something dramatic is happening. This is not the way a simple execution is supposed to play out. This man that is standing before him is an enigma to him. What is transpiring before him makes absolutely no sense. And he is gripped with raw fear by the events that are transpiring. The question, where are you from, means that Pilate is curious as to whether Jesus is in fact a divine being or not. How he is behaving, his demeanor, his words, when he chooses not to speak. 
this is the action of a God, not a man. The text says Jesus did not answer him. Why? Because Pilate had just scourged Jesus. Jesus is slowly bleeding to death in human terms. But because Jesus is the alien king, no man can kill Jesus. So Jesus suffers instead of dying. At this point, Pilate doesn't deserve an answer from him. Pilate had one more chance to accept the truth. And that chance was standing right in front of him, bleeding and mangled, because Pilate had scourged him. Pilate stands where every man or woman stands in the great river of time. Every man and every woman must ask the personal question in the moment of opportunity that comes when every soul has wounded the Lord Jesus. You see, it's when we realize we have wounded Him. That is the true opportunity of the soul to turn to God. When we realize that we have hurt the alien king. So Pilate asked the question, where are you from? In the search for extraterrestrial life, the life, capital L, not a life, the life, finds everyone that wants to live, that seeks life in the great river of life. The life himself has given us more than a message from an alien realm. The life is the message from the kingdom of a God we have never seen and a realm that is more real than here. So Pilate asks the question, where are you from? And Jesus was silent in his presence. At this point, Pilate reverts to the position that he occupies as a Roman authority. But he asks Questions that are personal alongside this official position that he has. John 19.10, Pilate therefore said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? We puny humans think we're so strong. I don't know if you've ever seen someone trying to work out. I'll share a story with you to illustrate this. Right after seminary, something happened to me dramatically. I don't know what it was. But I suddenly felt strong, and I joined a weightlifting program in Chicago. It was our Evangelism Institute at the end of the seminary experience. I was really impressed with how soon you can get pumped up and grow strong if you really do it right. You do three reps. You work from your maximum to your minimum. And when you're done, you can't put anything else up. And I went from being able to bench press, oh, about 150 pounds on the machine At the end of about four months, I could put that pin all the way down at the bottom of that machine and push those weights up. I felt proud of myself. I did. I wasn't skinny anymore at that particular point. And I remember one day, this kind of strong-looking guy coming in. He came, and he was there, and he looked at me, because I didn't look like I was muscle-bound. I was kind of a little thin, but, you know, dynamite comes in slender packages, doesn't it? Okay? And I remember very distinctly him looking at me, and there was this young fellow there trying to learn how to do weightlifting. And as he was looking at me, I looked at him, and he kind of walked by you these big rolling muscles, you know, and he, he put that pin about, you know, a little over half there. And then all of the bravado was in play. He got under the bench and kind of went, you know, you know the sound, it sounded like a lion. He pushed that thing up, then he pulled it back once. And he got out, and he was expecting adulations and worship on the spot. I just kind of looked at him, and then he looked at me. I'll never forget the awful look. It was full of disdain. He looked at me, and he said, you try that. 
Now, he didn't know that I'd been practicing. He didn't know that dynamite comes in small packages. And that I had a system of strength. I didn't have to look strong. I had a system that made me strong. So I got into that weight machine. And I took that pen. I put it all the way to the bottom. <laughs> he looked at me. And he just started rolling his eyes. The young guy that was with him started looking at me. And I took that thing and I did my full set of reps. And when I was done, he was gone. The young guy remained. And he said, how did you do that? I said, well, I have a system. I'll share it with you. And so we had a little talk together. And, of course, we were trying to witness. And I don't know if anything ever came of it. But it was sure fun that moment. You see, every one of us, at certain points of our life, don't we like to feel that we're strong? Yes or no? And isn't it a glorious feeling to know you're stronger than somebody else? Absolutely. And so Pilate is resorting to this primal instinct. I have the power. You know, we puny humans think we're so strong. We build our little kingdoms here on earth and we act mighty and powerful inside our sandboxes. And the truth is we're nothing but dust in the wind of a cosmic storm between good and evil. We're little pebbles in the river of time that gets worn down and rolled under the mud as the river rushes on. And so Pilate took the stance of a mighty man before the man who stood before him that day. Christ was the mighty man. He was the one with sword drawn in hand that Joshua saw. He was the mighty man that Daniel the prophet saw. He was the one who could wield the thunderbolt and the lightning, the fire. And so Pilate took the stance of a mighty man before the man who stood before him that day. At this point, Pilate threatens Jesus. And he asks Jesus a salient question. Don't you know that I have power to crucify you? There the mighty Roman procurator stood before the alien king who had all the power in the universe at his disposal. He was the man with the sword drawn in hand that Joshua saw, as I said before. If the issue was power, Christ could have used it in that one moment to decisively end the discussion. If God is only about power, then it would have been real easy for Jesus to win the debate with the use of raw power. Every atom in Pilate's body could have instantly lost its electrons, just like that. And every cell could have turned to dust in a protein soup in a moment of time as his DNA oozed out of every cell at the command of Christ that could have happened. Christ possessed raw power. And so the mighty man from Rome postures himself as the one who has the power. At this point, Jesus speaks again. John 19, 11. Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So Jesus reverts to the verbiage of mystery in his answer to Pilate. Christ's answer here suggests the truth that somehow he has a personal connection to the ultimate power in the universe. Jesus' Jewish accusers have framed the issue well. He claims to be the Son of God. Is he? And if he makes that claim according to our law, they say, he deserves to die. Friend, Jesus is only guilty if Jesus is wrong. Jesus is only guilty if he's wrong. So many men and women today want to believe that Jesus was only a good moral teacher. They're looking at Jesus as a moral influence in Western society. And somehow, if he's just a good philosophical influence and teacher, then that's all right. Friend, Christ made claims to divinity. 
If Christ is not the Son of God, if He is not divine, He's a madman or He is evil, there is no middle ground. So Jesus is only guilty if Jesus is wrong. But as soon as you call Jesus the Son of God, the discussion ends. Someone in Hollywood has taken a big chance these days. The movie's called The Son of God. I tell you, God sometimes jumps right over churches, right over evangelists, to move on the heart of people out there to say something to the world in a way we don't listen so that people can know Jesus. And I think He's working through some of these events in our culture. The title frames the claim, The Son of God. Friend, Jesus was guilty of being the Son of God. At this point, Pilate tries to find a way to release Jesus. He's convicted that Jesus is someone who can get him into a whole lot of trouble if he keeps talking to him. Pilate works for Caesar, and Caesar is his king. One more revolt in Palestine, and Caesar might just remove Pilate from being procurator of Palestine. Politics, we know, is the all-powerful engine that holds the world in the grip of fear. Fear in this world brings stability. Pilate was afraid of Caesar more than God. Pilate was afraid of Caesar's power. The Jewish leaders knew that this was Pilate's fatal flaw and weakness. Look at verse 12 in John 19. Upon this, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king sets himself against Caesar. And so they stood that day in bold contrast. Pilate represented the power of Caesar. And Jesus Christ represented the power of God. Pilate was afraid of Caesar, and Jesus was afraid of no man or woman, including Pilate. One stood as if he had the power, the other stood in appearance as if he had no power. The one was full of fear, the other was full of love and authority. John would later write that perfect love casts out fear. Pilate had evidence in the presence of the fearless one that God is love and that God is not afraid of men. And in the form of that one man who was God, Pilate should have surrendered his fear of men to God. For Pilate to surrender his fear of Caesar, Pilate must choose another king who is stronger than Caesar. Every man and every woman who stands in the great river of time is given the same choice that was offered Pilate in the face of fear. Anyone who calls Jesus a king is not a friend of Caesar. The world is not a passive force in your life. The world kingdom system is always applying pressure in your life to get you to give in so you will not surrender your allegiance to God. It may be in your job with your boss who pressures you to work on Sabbath. It may come from your friends who want you to drink or attend the theater or do something that compromises Christian principles. It may be in some expectation the world has as to how you should look or not. It doesn't matter. The world wants you so you will not be surrendered to Jesus. It may come within your own family from a spouse or a child who asks you to choose them over Jesus because Christ is a king. A king can have no divided loyalty if you are his subject. Friend, you either serve Jesus as king or you become his enemy in the last day. You cannot be on middle ground for long. And so the Jews were right in their claim that day. Whoever calls himself a king is no friend of Caesar. We are fast approaching a time in world history, according to the book of Revelation, when every man and woman on the face of the planet will have to choose between Jesus and a lamb-like beast that takes the place of Jesus. 
between Jesus and a beast that has replicated Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Between the world kingdom system, symbolized by the beast, and Jesus Christ, who has the ultimate authority to rule the world. Revelation 13, 15, and it, the lamb-like beast, was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast should even speak and to cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. When Pilate heard Jesus' reply, he brought him out and he sat down on the judgment seat, which is called the stone pavement in Greek. It is called Gabbatha in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word Gabbatha means an elevation, a high place. Pilate chose as the place of judgment an elevated spot, a high place to condemn Jesus. In the Gospel of John, this is the beginning of Jesus' exaltation and glory that leads to the cross. At last, He is being exalted and lifted up. John 3.14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. John 8, 28, so Jesus said to the Jews, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me. John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Gabbatha is the elevated spot of judgment. And as Pilate judges Jesus there, Jesus judges Pilate and the world kingdom system he stands for. Now has come the judgment of this world. To the end, Pilate is trying to escape from the awful decision that he must choose Caesar or Christ. It's Jesus' judgment he's running from all along. Christ is the one who is in control of the events at his own execution. To release Jesus will mean that Jesus has the stronger claim in Pilate's life. To release Jesus, Pilate must believe that Jesus is really a king greater than Caesar. And so he is struggling with two loyalties. Will he choose the man who must be king or the one who controls him with fear? You know, it's the same today. To obey God, you must believe in Jesus more than the world. Or in the end, you'll do the world's bidding. You'll be a slave to circumstances. It was an ancient Jewish tradition that is possibly true. In fact, I believe it's true based on the allusions we find in Scripture and the early witness of the early Christian church. It was an ancient Jewish tradition that Noah took the bones and skull of Adam onto the ark. And when the flood was over, he divided the bones among his children and they took them out to the ends of the earth. But to Shem, whose name means the name in Hebrew, he gave him Adam's skull. It is believed by certain ancient Jews that Shem is Melchizedek, who met Abraham after his defeat of Sodom. He became, in due course of time, the king of Salem, which was later Jerusalem. And according to this ancient tradition, Shem buried Adam's skull near Jerusalem. The early Christians believed he buried it on the Mount of Olives. Jesus prayed for his people in the Mount of Olives. Christ entered a garden like the Garden of Eden on the Mount of Olives. He ascended to glory on the Mount of Olives. And I believe the best evidence suggests that he died on the Mount of Olives. It was the only spot 
from the position of the temple where you could see over the eastern wall, which was lower than the other walls, right into the veil of the temple. And when Christ died, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. The east was in perfect alignment with the altar. He could see the veil before the darkness covered the cross. Those early Christians believed that Adam's skull was buried on the Mount of Olives. And there is early witness in early Christian writing that Christ died on the Mount of Olives. It was Roman custom to crucify a criminal in a public place near the place of their arrest. And so they took Jesus to Mount Calvary, the place of Adam's skull. He was arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. That's where the triumphal procession had proclaimed him king. And according to Roman custom, he must be crucified where the crime was committed. And so they took Jesus to Mount Calvary, the place of Adam's skull. And there the alien king who created Adam from the dust of the earth and his skull. He died for Adam and all his children. The blood of the alien king dripped on the ground that was made sacred, that was considered to be the place of the skull. And so when the Bible says they brought him to Golgotha, the place of the skull, that place did not look like a skull 2,000 years ago. It has weathered a long time since. The evidence is they were making the association with Adam and Christ. Jesus was the second Adam, atoning for the sin of Adam at the place of the skull, understood to be Adam's skull. There the alien king demonstrated that God is our friend and that God atones for the sin of the world. Type met anti-type when Jesus died. Now it's no accident that on the Mount of Olives there was a third altar that was outside the gate. It was the altar for the red heifer that was slain on the great day of atonement. And this sacrifice, when it occurred, a priest would motion with a hand signal that would be seen across the valley right into the holy place where the veil of the temple was and he would proceed with the service of the great day of atonement. On the great feasts of Israel, this altar was the heavy hitting spot where the sacrifices occurred and where the lamb was not slain for Passover and so on. So as Christ was dying on this holy mountain, the altar was there. The veil of the temple could be seen across the valley. And when he said, it is finished, that Roman centurion saw the veil of the temple rent from top to bottom. And he could cry out as a first-hand account, truly this man was the Son of God. Because there was a direct relationship between that temple and what was happening on that holy hill, the cross of Calvary. There the alien king demonstrated that God is our friend. And that God atones for the sin of the world. The alien king left Eden to find Adam and all his children born on the wrong side of Adam's door. Friend, on the cross, the alien king is no longer alien. Because the alien king is now the son of Adam, the son of Noah, the son of Shem, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of man. Pilate said, Echo homo, behold the man. Not behold angel, behold the man. The great condescension of Christ to save us. John 19, 16, Then Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. And there they crucified him. 
and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote a tile and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, the alien king, is no longer alien. Behold the man. Dear Heavenly Father, we don't want to follow anyone or any angel. We want to follow the Son of God who is the eternal messenger of God, who is God from eternity in the past and God into the future, but who condescended to be the messenger to God's people, but who left his role behind as the mighty protector of the Jewish nation to become a human being, to become the sacrifice for his people, the Jewish nation. Yes, for all the world. And Father, I'm grateful that Jesus came to the place of Adam's skull to save everyone who came out of that head that started sin, to give us grace. Lord, you know your people in this place. You know every heart that longs for you, every life that is empty, every person that seeks the truth that is in Jesus, not just truths, but the truth that is in Jesus. Grant them Jesus, I pray. And Father, as we stand in these last days, may we stand with Christ for Christ. And I thank you for loving your people and forgiving them of their sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that will conclude the Alien King. Today's reaching your heart. Due to our time constraints, we needed to bring this message to you in two parts. This will conclude the message. If you'd like to listen to the entire message without interruption, go to reachingyourheart.com. While you're on that website, please consider a financial contribution. We so appreciate you doing that. To send you a contribution through the mail, the address here is Reaching Hearts International, 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That is also the address for the worship service this Saturday at 11 o'clock. If you're in the area, please stop by. We'd love to have you as our guest. And thanks for listening. As always, we pray God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.